Welcome to 15 Minutes on the Way, Season 7, The Prophets, the PH Prophets. If you're a first-time listener, you really owe it to yourself to start at the beginning. You can easily find Episode 1 of Season 1 at 15minutesontheway.com. Don't spell out the number. Otherwise, brace yourself for a conversation with God's voice telling His side of your story. In last week's episode, we introduced the pivotal prophet Amos. The coming core of our message through Amos is marked by the word therefore towards the end of Amos 4. That's Amos 4, 12-13. It's always good to check what's before and after a therefore anyhow, as pedestrian as that may seem to the pompous who make fun of the old adage directing one to learn what a therefore is there for. That core message is... Because you've turned into spoiled brats and haven't had the sense to listen to my earlier much easier to handle corrective measures, prepare to meet your God. And in case you forgot, that would be me, the one who forms the mountains and creates the wind, turns morning to darkness, treads on the heights of the earth. You remember him, Yahweh. Almighty God of angel armies. Yeah, here he comes. Brace yourselves. And after all that build-up, you'd think I'd roll out the doom barrel with my next breath in Amos 5. Well, now that I've finally gotten Israel's attention, at least any attention that's left to be gotten, I raise up a lament at how far my daughter has fallen. Then I issue a cry to seek Yahweh and live, not at the shrines you've built to me. They aren't pointed at me any longer, if ever they were. Search not for a place, but for a God, this one. Now is as good a time as any to have you turn Amos' words on yourself for a moment. There's more meat to come but process this first call he makes, we make, through him, to our people. Their worship has become all about their worship. It's not about me any longer. It's about them. Now, I know a good number of you aren't setting foot in a place of worship these days, and this point is not for you, so you can skip ahead by 30 seconds. We will come around to your issues at the right time. Those of you who are regulars, though, Take this cautionary note to heart. Make sure you're seeking me in your worship, not thinking about what a nice place of worship you've built. We'll get to this in spades in our next project, but for now, just remember that I am in and pursuing relationship with people, not buildings. All the splendor of the temple in Jerusalem isn't for its own reputation. It's to point people to me in order to foster our relationship with them. If you're doing something fancy with your place of worship, make sure it's about our relationship with our people, not about how clever you are. We could expand this concept to cover a number of things about your place of worship, programs, music, activities, and so on. 
but we will let you extrapolate the overriding principle of one primary goal for all such things. They are not to be ends in themselves, but rather vehicles for relationship with me. Chapter 5 continues as the heart of Amos's message, embedded with the clear reminder that he who made the Pleiades and Orion is the one calling on his people, my people, to repent and return, the one from whom they have withdrawn, the one who will be required by contractual covenant to withdraw his favor should they continue in their relentless non-compliance. It is clear, though, that these folks haven't got a clue. That's why we are pulling out all the stops here with Amos. It's one thing when someone is rebelling against us and knows it. There's a certain integrity to that, though obviously misdirected itself instead of us. However, it's an entirely different and exponentially worse matter when someone has turned completely against us, yet thinks they are totally good with God. This is where Israel stands now, so much so that they are looking forward to the day of Yahweh. It's beautiful and chilling all at the same time. The people know that we simply cannot let all the injustice of the world and the pain it all causes carry on pell-mell and willy-nilly for all eternity. They know we are going to have to step in at some point and put an end to all the unfairness in the world. That point, that day, has become known as the Day of Yahweh, which is a fine name and a fine idea since it is true. They think, though, that it's essentially going to be all about them that we are going to wipe out their neighbors but put Israel on a permanently protected pedestal. Just as they rejoiced at the poetic opening strains of Amos's oracles pointed at the nations around them, Israel thinks the day of Yahweh is going to usher in glory days for them and demise for their competition. Their kids expecting candy and goodies in their stockings, but they're going to wake up to coal, great, huge lumps of it. And so, in no uncertain terms, Amos stacks up metaphors to wake Israel up, telling them that they've got it all wrong and that the day of Yahweh isn't going to be the party they're hoping for. Their hopeful sense of coming relief will only serve to really plunge them into their stark reality when the day of reckoning comes as it must. Amos likens it to the emotional slingshot of escaping a lion only to be met by a bear, or to arrive to the safety of home only to be bitten by a snake within one's own walls. They think everything's hunky-dory with old Yahweh, though, as they keep a rigorous schedule of festivals, assemblies, and offerings, aimed supposedly at me, while the rest of the time they're glutting themselves on the meager resources of the poor, trampling the needy, and ruining the lives of those beneath them. Check Amos 8.4. And so, Amos's images of a surprised demise via bear or snake fit well when this people so proud of their religious system hear from me that I despise and reject their offerings, and that I can't stand the noise of their songs, 
even though they're under the impression that I am receiving and loving it all. But mostly, as we are about to see, they're also cheating on us with other gods in their worship. But for now, we are making a point about their moral life. We won't leave their idols unaddressed. We're not done with yours, either. The one Hebrew scholar still listening knows how colorful I get in communicating the closure of all paths to me with regard to Israel's worship. The basic meaning of being able to smell something is there in terms translated take no delight in verse 21, and more plainly in my not accepting the aroma of their burnt offerings in 22. So I can't smell Israel's worship. And you've had more than one bad cold in your life and know what happens when you can't smell, right? What other sense shuts down? Sure enough, taste is gone too. Cancel those expensive restaurant reservations because you'll be wasting your money. I won't look at their sacrifices either there at the end of verse 22. Perfect time to come along with your manual here. We're at Amos 5:22. So the senses of sight and smell, with taste piggybacked on smell, are closed to Israel. And then I won't listen to or hear the mellifluous melodies of their musical praise either. Thus, every available sensory pathway... Uh, the pathway of touch is unavailable until the Abra plan is completed, and boy, is there a whole lot packed into that sentence. Remember that fellow who grabbed the ark when the cart carrying it tipped a bit? And so every available sensory pathway into me has been shut down because of Israel's sin. And Amos really is a master in building his crescendo with us here. The climax of this catalogue of sensory shutdown and the definition of everything that is wrong with this picture that has utterly closed the road to Yahweh rings forth in the final words that both define the blockage source and prescribe its cure. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Amos 5.24 Yes, a good number of you recognize these words, and we'll get to that in a moment. First, though, this prescription for reopening the road to Yahweh, the cure Amos prescribes, is not one of getting their worship somehow more right, but of getting their relationships with their fellow humans right, that they live their lives righteously, that the theme of justice characterize everything about them and their relationships with one another. It's not just something for governmental administration, though the city gates, where what amounts to governmental administration all happens, the city gates are the first place in and through which justice needs to flow. Those vivid images of flowing waters, and honestly, the word stream doesn't do the image justice when the Hebrew there depicts a river wadi that churns with floods when the rain comes. So those vivid images of abundant flowing waters that gush and fill their course are used to show that there is not a place in life where this justice should not reach. The worth of every human 
each made in our image, should be respected, regardless of their location in man-made social strata. Amos is declaring that people who are not treating one another fairly need not apply to us for blessing. Now, you can try to stay in an intellectual safe house and think about how Amos is blasting those in power back there in the northern kingdom for exploiting their poor and for keeping all their misbegotten wealth in the top small percentage of their population with their vacation homes. But you know better by now. And so certainly did one of our sons walking in Amos's steps some 2,700 years later. It is this entire picture of stratified injustice and the need for wholesale repentance in Israel that my son, Martin Luther King Jr., conjures by quoting this passage central to all of Amos's words in the call that justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like a mighty stream. Martin certainly knew his owner's manual, and his I Have a Dream speech at the Lincoln Memorial was just one of many times Martin quoted Tom to great effect. Amos's words ring well in Martin's day and in yours. They are as timeless as the inequity and oppression they speak against. Note, then, that Amos is not calling for a single behavior to change, and neither is Martin, but for the world view of the people, specifically the people who have the influence to exert over their society, to shift. And until this systemic issue that is woven into their whole way of doing things in Israel is repaired, they may as well not waste their time worshiping me. Rewind and listen to that last sentence again. And until this systemic issue that is woven into their whole way of doing things in Israel is repaired, they may as well not waste their time worshipping me. In the meantime, their worship is a waste of time, their time and ours. Surely you've gotten to the point where you're tracking this message into your own life, time, and habitat concurrently as we discuss its place in Tom. As if this isn't enough evidence of Israel's callous, selfish cluelessness, Amos then lets drop a little detail regarding their worship of Sakut, the Assyrian god of war, along with his star, Saturn and Israel's worship of idols fashioned to represent this fellow. When it became clear that Baal wasn't showing up, it made twisted sense to begin some just-in-case worship of the battle god belonging to the strongest, most successful neighbor, which would be Assyria. Though Amos makes veiled references like this to Assyria, he never mentions them. Our next prophet will, that's for sure. Assyria is the growing empire located to the northeast on the other side of Israel's regular sparring neighbors, Aram, also known as the Aramites, also known as Syria. And so, when my people are blatantly neglecting my ways, when their worship, though precise in its details, is a going through the motions by way of their state of life and heart, 
and when they have placed additional trust in a god that seems to be bringing success to the rising big kid on the block, it is time to shift policy. Time and again we have forgiven. Time and again we have provided a fresh start only to be taken for granted and taken advantage of. To continue in this cycle serves only to enable Israel's downward spiral. Thus, at the end of this core chapter 5 of Amos's message, we level the boom. Since Israel is so impressed with the gods of Assyria, Assyria will conquer Israel, and it is to Assyria that Israel will be exiled, as in taken from their land, torn and driven from the promised land which had been gained with such care and cost. You're still listening. It's not too late for you. Whatever turning back you need to do, I've already put that on your heart. Come back, and let's walk together on the way. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to support what we do, give us a review on iTunes or Facebook, then share this podcast with your friends. There's a link to the very first episode right under today's podcast on our website, 15minutesontheway.com. We hope today's podcast has reminded you that you, friend, are part of an epic story that is still unfolding today. So keep walking on the way. And until next time, be good to yourself.